0: To Sudan now, and the United Nations is warning that the escalating humanitarian disaster there could force more than 800,000 people to flee. The UN says more than 330,000 have been internally displaced and over 100,000 have already crossed the border from Sudan into neighbouring countries. In the capital Khartoum, fighting continues despite promises of a ceasefire. As foreign nationals attempt to flee, a U.S. ship from Port Sudan has arrived in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia on Monday. There were 300 evacuees on the ship, including 100 U.S. citizens. And the final two evacuation flights were British nationals also left on Monday. Those unable to leave by plane are taking boats. The British government estimates that around 4,000 Britons were stuck in Sudan, and more than half of them have now been evacuated. Well, this is the scene live in Sudan's capital, Khartoum, right now, where there is a nominal ceasefire still in place, but we know that fighting has very much continued there. We can see plumes of smoke in the distance, which no doubt will relate to the ongoing conflict there. Well, as Sudan's rival leaders agree to send representatives to begin negotiations, our diplomatic correspondent Paul Adams has more.
1: There's been a kind of tentative... Uh, uh, agreement in the last couple of days uh, among the, uh, representative, the the two warring parties to send representatives. The, the UN says that that, that that agreement exists in principle, but that nothing has actually been arranged in terms of where and when the two sides sit down. So uh, we need to watch that to see if that firms up. Um, but certainly an offer has been on the table um, from South Sudan, Uh, and I think also from Saudi Arabia to host talks between the two sides Uh, and at some point uh, amid pretty concerted international pressure uh, one hopes that those talks will indeed take place but no concrete
0: plans just yet. And what do we know about fighting not just in Khartoum but across the country despite the fact there is a supposed ceasefire taking place? Yeah
1: it's become a very familiar pattern hasn't it of uh, Talk of ceasefires and yet that familiar now, familiar uh, scene across the northern reaches of Khartoum with black smoke drifting across the city, uh, that particular part of the the capital has remained a hot spot throughout this uh, past two weeks, uh, as has the situation in the far west in Darfur where the clash between the army and the rapid support forces seems to have triggered. An outbreak of tribal violence, which has left a lot of people dead out there, causing great concern uh, among aid agencies, as uh, around 20,000 people have fled across the border into Chad. So those have been the two principal areas of concern. There have been other uh, clashes elsewhere, but that, that is where most of the fighting is focused. Of course, the fear on the international community, or from the international community, is that if these uh, tentative prospects for some kind of dialogue don't materialise, the whole situation could spread and escalate and that's why we heard yesterday from the UNHCR, uh, the UN's refugee agency, a a warning that as many as 800,000 people could be on the move, which would obviously represent a major escalation in this crisis.
0: And an increasingly desperate humanitarian crisis, the World Food Programme say they are expecting to resume their efforts today after they were paused when several of their representatives were killed. What do we know about what they're going to be able to manage to do, how many people they'll be able to reach?
1: Well, that second part of that question is is the all-important one because, yes, we are seeing signs of a kind of mobilisation of the international community in terms of aid, Uh, The Red Cross bringing in medical supplies into Port Sudan a couple of days ago. As you say, the World Food Programme uh, now feeling that it can resume its operations. But the key thing for all of the agencies involved, it's not just, you know, bringing aid in, which presumably they can do to Port Sudan. It's whether they can then get it to uh, people, particularly in the capital Khartoum, where in those areas around the northern parts of the city, where you've had street battles between the two, uh, military factions whether it's possible to get aid in there safely you know World Food Programme doesn't want another three of their workers killed as they as they experienced two weeks ago they want to know that the situation is is sufficiently calm for them to get the, the, the their, their operations running again uh, the same applies to the medical side of things with hospitals that have been out of action can those now Uh, start uh, resuming proper uh, operations. All of these questions are still very much up in the air and the focus of quite concerted international effort.
0: Paul Adams there. Well, as I said, there is a nominal ceasefire taking place across the country, but there has been, according to local residents, the sound of sporadic gunfire across Khartoum. And as you can see there, plumes of smoke in the distance there, with local residents also saying there has been the raw of warplanes. Well, let's go live now to Hajuj Kuka, who's an award winning filmmaker helping the Khartoum emergency response room from Berlin. He's based in Khartoum but has been stranded in Berlin since the 15th of April. Welcome to you. Thanks very much for being with us. Just explain to us what these emergency response rooms are, how they work.
2: Okay, as you heard, um, the UN doesn't have access to these people. And right now in Khartoum, Khartoum is a city that has between eight and 10 million people. So people have been able to sustain and remain by getting together and creating these neighborhood response rooms. They're the same groups that uh, ousted Omar bashir They did did great protests. They were the groups that were protesting against uh, the coup from uh, October uh, 25th. And they came together, uh, and in my neighborhood, uh, they took a school, a primary school. They took it over, and they started figuring out how do you have water? How do you get uh, the water company to work? How do you get electricity? How do you get food in the grocery stores? Uh, they set up small little um, emergency. Um, if somebody gets injured, if somebody needs some medicine and stuff like that. So they got together and they started doing that and they started organizing across the neighborhoods. Uh, for example, in Bahari, they had this big issue where the water supply got destroyed because the area where most people live in Bahari is controlled by the militia the rapid response force while the area where the water storage uh, is is controlled by the army so they actually went there the uh, emergency response rooms talked to the uh, militia then talked to the army and then negotiated that somebody calls in to uh, fix it when there's a ceasefire As you heard, the ceasefire never actually existed. So until now, they're waiting for a station of facilities and real ceasefire so that workers can go in and fix it. But this is the kind of different work that they've been doing. And the strength of it is because in every neighborhood, there's doctors, there's engineers, uh, there's all these people who are stranded and in their neighborhood. So they've been coming together to these uh, response rooms and working.
0: Able to provide supplies. And if so, how are they getting supplies to help other people? So this is the this
2: is the amazing thing. Um, so th- there are different ways to do it. Uh, one, they were actually contacting uh, wholesalers who have storage rooms, uh, big storage warehouses, to uh, that normally they would sell in in markets, but these markets don't exist anymore. So they've been contacting them to get some of the stuff. So there is that. Also, the um, rapid response force, the uh, militia, they actually. Uh, agreed to have some of the markets open, and to transfer some of the goods. Um, so it's always been like this constant negotiation, constant figuring out how to do it. And up to now, they've managed. Uh, there is It's only been two and a half weeks, so there's been enough uh, material in Sudan uh, to, to do it. But soon they will need, actually, for stuff to come from outside, which uh, is going to be a harder negotiation that requires international and the UN and not in it. But up to now, they've been successful in utilizing what's in Sudan. Uh, let's also remember that uh, in Khartoum, there's also farms uh, within the city limits. So these farms were able to bring their goods. So until now, there are some markets that, uh, that are working. Um, they're really tense, but uh, they are working under uh, the protection and the supervision of the different army, whatever is it, RSF or the army that exists in the area, As through the, the constant negotiation with the emergency response rules.
0: you tell us about your personal circumstances. I said that you're stuck in Berlin um, and now since you've been there, this fighting has continued. What are your thoughts about trying to get back to Sudan um, and, and what are you doing to try and improve the situation from where you are
2: in, in Germany? So me personally, I was uh, on the, on the 15th. I, I haven't even checked in and I was heading back home when the war started. So I got stuck outside and because I was so connected with people in my neighborhood and with different uh, committees, uh, resistance committees, I was able to through phone calls, through connecting, trying in the beginning to help helping people get out, helping my mother get out. Uh, she's right now, she made it through the border and she's in Aswan. Uh, Trying to figure out with my friends and my loved ones what to do and then slowly it went to the no uh, no war campaign uh, Doing graffiti in the walls trying to like figure out how to get money across Uh, the banking systems has collapsed so I've been mainly thanks to all these technologies that we have like um, through whatsapp through telegram through getting uh, zoom calls trying to like organize people on the ground and being a point where I'm online while they're they're when, when bombings happen in certain areas, they get offline. So, trying to, to do that. So, I've been mainly like just communicating all the time and trying to get people to do things. Also, being a filmmaker, I've been trying to encourage people to document what they're going through and uh, putting together a lot of the documentation that's happening. So, we have to tell our stories and not, uh, not just get that lost because it's very important to tell this story of one of what was happening, but also of resistance. Uh, Sudan is going towards democracy and the army this is this seems to be the last the last time the armies can rule in Sudan we're hoping after this war ends this will be the end of uh, military rule and this is the last time that people would go to using weapons to solve our problems
0: a cook a really interesting to talk to you thank you very much for your time well the continuation of the Fighting is, as you can see, very much ongoing. Reports of sporadic gunfire across the capital cartoon. Plumes of smoke being seen. 100,000 people have fled the country. 300,000 internally displaced.